I'm perpetually amazed by people in academia who don't feel like they work for a business. You fucking really, really do. You really do work for a business and you would do very well to understand the fiscal concerns that they have. Recording your mind. Me too. Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo. I'm here with James Heathers from Cypherskin. James, how you going, mate? Ooh, um, working for a startup is challenging, Daniel. I, I Did bet. you know that there are challenges involved in work? Who would, who would have thought? I, yeah, no one saw that coming. I mean, we were all expecting... I, I was expecting basically one long nap, but um, <laughs> that, that didn't quite work out, did it? Hmm. Well, I'm sorry, man. Look, this is we, we're going to we're going to attempt something today that's quite challenging in general to make a podcast that is not dreadful. Um, and this is my dumb idea. Um, and I've come in in a state where I'm not much more mentally compromised than usual, but a little bit. So I'm interested to see what happens. I'm interested to see what. Uh, what a dick I make of myself over over the next 60 minutes or so. Are you interested in finding out what a fool I can be, Daniel? This is going to be fun. I've been interested in that for the oh, past decade. Oh, this is- this I've, I've, been re- I've been recording <laughs> it. This, this, is, this is going to be really fun. Uh, about, about two hours ago, I put the call out to Hertz Nation to send in some audio questions. They uh, A few people- um, send in their audio questions by using the link on our website, everythinghurts.com. There's a link to send in an audio question. And we got three uh, really good questions and we're going to jump straight in. And mind you, yeah. um, James has not heard these questions. I've only heard them once just to check the audio was okay. James yep. has not heard these questions. So, we're going to jump. So, so don't see. This is one of my favorite episode formats and everyone who's, who's heard us before do similar episodes to this. Is so, I, I, I like to salt these things through our catalog um, because it's honestly it's a lot of fun, fun. Uh, it can be it can be a lot more hopefully it's more useful for people um, I think so. God forbid uh, we would all hope to be useful in some context um, but it's a lot more challenging than uh, preparing an idea where I already have fully formed thoughts so I really I really like that about um, I really like that about this format and I'm always slightly intimidated which is good because I probably should be it keeps me Keep you on your toes. Well, less, less bombastic, I suppose. So I'll let's do it. I'll Fuck ask, me up. I like this format because uh, it's, it's very similar to the kind of after drinks sort of thing. No, no one's having that now. We had that a few times. Been down to Manning Bar, talk about things that, that sort of pop up. And now we're just recording it. I think this is going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. It, might, it's, it, it is that kind of vibe, isn't it? So maybe this is a, yeah yeah we we are we are your alcohol replacement. We are your Clayton. <laughs> we are your Clayton's podcast. There's a reference young people don't get. We are here. All right, here comes the first question. Hey, Dan and James. This is Chelsea. Uh, I'm at Chelsea Parlette on Twitter. Uh, and my question is, what is the worst reviewer comment you've gotten on a manuscript? And how do you deal when reviewer comments and complaints are just plain incorrect? Thanks, guys. Um, the, the best, the best, uh, the best nasty reviewer mark, uh, I, I ever got was, and I've probably told this story before in some context, but I, I forgive you for not remembering Chelsea. 
That's what you get for being named after a boot. <laughs> um, the worst review I ever got was I wrote a review paper about halfway through my PhD, which I thought was a very good review paper. It was extremely heavily researched. And was that the I got, Everything uh, Hurts paper? Um, no, I think it was a different one. Sorry. Okay. Um, it was, I mean, there was, there was more than one back then. Uh, someone essentially wrote what amounted to you are insufficiently senior to write this review. Mm. Not, not the content, not it's wrong. Not here. I mean, there was a series of very nitpicky side points, but it was basically sort of where did you get the confidence and or the implicit authority to put these words in order? Just shut up and be young. You're literally not allowed to have a review paper, full stop, end of story. And um, that one sat with me for a while, and there is obviously an aftermath of that, but I want to hear yours. I've got uh, two equal ones, which really stand out to me. Um, the first yeah. the first one was review comment, um, which was <laughs> uh, the, the authors should get native English speakers to proofread the paper. Uh, yeah, of course. This, this was an interesting one. And I'm like, <laughs> what do they think? I'm like, oh, I looked, I looked at the author list. We got Quintana. <laughs> we got Alvarez. We got Gastella. We got Chen. <laughs> right, right. A number of people, names. People who are not familiar with your old work context. I mean, these are the, these are the obviously non-WASP names of people who are working in Australia and who all speak English. Were born in Australia. They're all born born in Australia. As, yeah, all, all of them were born in Australia as well, as as as, as far as far as I know, yeah. um, or at least grew up in Australia. And this this was just a reminder of the, the sort of discrimination that a lot of folks are up against when it comes to this idea that um, these people, um, even if the English is perfect, these people automatically need 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 proofreading. Um, and and to, to add uh, insult to injury, they didn't actually give any examples of of what they didn't agree with. It was <laughs> kind of like a, a blanket statement of you need proofreading oh because because oh. because you're foreign your names are I've heard, foreign I've, I've heard this story i've heard this story before so i was i was told you're too junior to have an opinion and you were you were told you sound too foreign to yeah, <laughs> marshal the english language um but neither of these neither of these remarks but from these two different pun scum that gave them out <laughs> Neither of these remarks, Daniel, I would add, came with any fucking evidence. They just said them. Mm. Super That's frustrating. It. I mean, cause, yeah. because they, they, they didn't point out, they didn't say, oh, uh, you know, you can't end a sentence with a preposition, Daniel. It, it wasn't. It wasn't that. It was just, um, oh, sorry about that. You're foreign. Yeah. Or to me, oh, sorry about that. You're young. And that's it. Now that's um, it's in very interesting that we both immediately picked prime examples of like evidence-free gatekeeping in the <laughs> alleged evidence strengthening process. How did you respond to that? How did I respond to that? Um, I yelled at the dude, but that's me. I obviously don't recommend my behaviour to other people because there are laws. <laughs> and you just what you- I did? Okay, and then. I, I, basically, I tore, I tore, a, I tore a strip off him and asked him to be more, to be more professional. Basically, I am. Um, I have this. I have this written down somewhere. Um, I was, I was caustic, um, because that was some bullshit. But also, look, here's the thing: if someone says you don't get to have any authority, um, that's uh, that's it. Sorry. 
Um, you can't just go, oh, yes, I'm, 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 I'm terribly, I'm terribly sorry about that. I, I didn't mean to be young. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come back when I'm older. I was, what, what do you, what do you, what are you supposed, to, what are you supposed to say? Weird what are you supposed to say? You have to, you have to, you have to go back at that. Honestly, look, you um, t- you tell tell me yours, and I'll see if I can find this written down because uh, the digital the digital space is very big, isn't it? Tell me my what my my worst one. No, but how how would you look if I put a bunch of dumb shit on one of your dumb shit manuscripts? Yeah. Um, how how do you navigate the mechanics of people asking for for dumb stuff in review? That was the second half of the question. Well, it, in, in this case, we uh, how we responded is we just said, "Can you?" <laughs> uh, we, we stated the facts that we're all native English speakers, and uh, if there's anything wrong, can you actually point us to w- what is incorrect? It's it's basically stating the facts. I, in most cases, almost all cases, will have no problems actually responding to when things are incorrect. I don't worry about that. Um, maybe I've been lucky and I've had the editor on my side in these situations. I would imagine there would be some people where the review would get a bit stroppy and maybe the editor would actually sit on the side of the reviewer, especially if the reviewer is a fancy person in the field. Um, look, I, I, I know plenty of stories of particularly early career researchers who get comments like this and it's really discouraging. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's just to say the facts in this case. And um, just yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. It, you, it's- you 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 are you are. I I think because there is such a tremendous hesitation that people have towards rocking the boat and being explicit about it. Um, people who've left you shitty, superficial, mean responses obviously don't want an intellectual engagement. Mm. So it can be a strategy. I mean, obviously it's worked for me that you, if you go hard at these people with a lot of details and a lot of facts and a lot of demands from them. And if all of that looks reasonable, um, then they're not going to, they're not going to come back with much. Basically, if they're basically saying, look, oh, here's some, here's some, uh, here's some lazy and deeply unfair bullshit. And I, I abrogate my responsibility to look at this closely. Your response to that can be, oh, here's nine things I need you to look at closely because they all directly contradict everything you said. Um, some people are very conciliatory in reviews, but honestly, the the whole the, the reason that this is a question in the first place is the, the tremendous academic fear of never upsetting anyone. And I think this goes far too far when it comes to defending your ideas uh, standing up to look if, if someone's done a lazy, shitty review, and they're reacting to some vague heuristic or association that they've seen within what you've written. If you go, oh yes, absolutely, I validate your shit ideas. It is an invitation for more shit ideas. It is a platform for an editor to take them seriously. It's a platform for other reviewers to take them seriously if those remarks can be seen between reviewers. And you you have to you have to put a stamp on it, a stamp of authority in that case. I found this thing actually. I copied it uh, out, and I'll, I'll I'll read it out. Um. Bah, 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 bah. This is one of the first times in reviewing articles I have raised a concern with the qualification of the authors. 
Dr. Heathers, I wasn't a doctor then, so good attention to detail, fuckwood, has nine publications that I see on PubMed, wow. four of which are letters to the editor. I complained a lot when I was young, only two of which are first or senior author manuscripts. The review would need considerable revision and would benefit from input of a more senior investigator in this field, perhaps one of the senior authors from the published manuscripts of which Dr. Heathers, again, fuck off, still mister, is a co-author. <laughs> so that's basically saying- um, Mate, they spent they spend more time. The review looking- review would need considerable revision. How? What do I revise? The margins? The full stops? <laughs> Are they insufficiently round? Or maybe or maybe they need to be squared off. Was it in Calibri when you really wanted Arial? Or do I need to go through and say, look at all the facts and replace them with different facts? Fuck you. You want to know what I said? This is patronizing and panders to an argument from authority. I am entirely capable of addressing these questions myself and expect my work to be addressed on its merits rather than on my seniority or in all future correspondence. That's it? Yep. Wow. Come on. Yeah. I mean, look, to be honest, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have been that ballsy. I would have maybe you said the same thing, but not as direct. I think I probably lost my temper at that point. Yeah. It's hard to always. This is the thing. It's like there's supposed to be no space for emotion. People come at you with dumb shit. This, the, you validate the dumb shit, especially in front of other people. But people when just, you avoid the when you avoid mentioning the fact that it's dumb shit. One little trick that I do is quite, quite often reviewers will be lazy. I mean, this review was lazy. This reviewer spent more time looking at your looking at your bloody Google Scholar page, PubMed page, and actually reading the paper by the sounds of it. Um, but quite often, reviewers are lazy, and they'll say something that complete that they'll, they'll completely miss. And it can be tempting to go, "You miss this," or change this. I'll, I'll literally change a word in a sentence, going, "The sentence has been changed," just to I don't know. And I mean, I don't know. It's the, the, the fear is people don't want their papers rejected. People put a lot of time in. I'm not sure whether for this particular paper, that particular t- stage of your PhD, you're, you're under specific time constraints, but people have, have, have two things to consider. One, I want to get into this journal. Maybe they, they like this journal. Maybe it's a fancy journal. And the second thing is I need to get my paper published somewhere for the purposes of my, of my, of my PhD. People are looking at this yeah. going, you know what? I don't want to rock the boat. Um, this, this person's clearly an asshole. Um, I'm just going to roll over and do the thing, um, you know, obviously maintaining your, your, your ethics and not saying something that's completely wrong just yeah, to get yeah, my paper. Yeah, so, the, the- Dan, absolutely. I understand the pressures involved. Absolutely. We both do. We, that was part of our lives for a very long time. Obviously, we get that. But I would simply add I don't want to live like that. I don't want to do that. I think that there's benefits to not doing that, but also I don't want to. And I think there are a lot of other people who also don't want to. And they shouldn't have to. I mean, yeah, this I mean, this is this is the thing. It's as the continual academic expedience. Because so so much pressure to put words in order and fly your little flag. I mean, so many people. He's like, I'm the hardest motherfucking open science core, tungsten spine, <laughs> free the fucking people, free the knowledge. But my students send all their uh, papers to Elsevier journals and I author those as well because I don't want to fuck with their careers. But fuck the man, but take my paper. You don't agree with that? No, I, what I'm saying, Dan, is that they're fucking stuck. Yeah, okay. They're stuck. And 
You can unstick yourself and take your chances. Maybe, maybe that's terrible advice. Or maybe, maybe if you're in a field that's much more sort of petty and parochial and has a longer memory, you know, submitting papers to a, a journal that has a lower volume, or if you send them another one in six months, they're going to go, oh, him again. I wish to kick him in the et ceteras. I think, yeah. I think one of the big advantages, I've been thinking about this more recently, one of the big advantages of people who are senior is they have time. They have more time than PhD students. PhD students under, uh, are under a lot of stress, whereas someone mm. who, who's more no senior doubt. can go, well, oh, I, can, I can do the old – do the old journal impact factor shuffle. I'll go as high as I can, gets rejected, mm. I'll go down one, I'll go down one, I'll go down one. And uh, people have the time. Um, whereas if you're a bit more junior, you don't have that luxury. Um, and that's a really big advantage, which I don't think a lot of people talk about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or, you know, apply to jobs where preprints are okay and accept the fact that you're um Accept the fact that the or try and get other people to accept the fact that the fucking treadmill is long. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's there's often there's often no good. Um. There's often no good pathway. There's just a a a, a choice between two different forms of indecision. Let me let me add one more thing, and then we can knock this one on the head because we should probably keep these to twenty minutes. Don't confuse. Hostile reviewer who has really good points about your shit manuscript with hostile reviewer who has no points and is just an asshole expressing their assholishness. Um, I got a review once that was very dismissive and arrogant and hostile. And obviously that annoyed me, but there were enough good points, you know, they missed the point of the, the center of the manuscript, but there were enough good points of things that were missing that made me a lot less angry about the tone and the general pissiness of the whole experience. And it was because they, it was actually, and you looked up what they said, this paper was this thing here, and you should have known that. And I looked at it, and, well, I hate this person. I, I hope they get an incurable disease, and then they fall down a stairs uh, they, they fall down a flight of stairs the morning a, uh, a disease that the, the cure is discovered. Right? <laughs> I don't like this person, and I wouldn't talk, even though it's me. I wouldn't fucking say that to someone, especially not in this context. But that doesn't make them wrong, and you have to you have to get past yourself a little bit with things like that. And it's dangerous to conflate the two. It's dangerous to conflate strong criticism and an assholeish demeanor with uh, necessary incorrectness. That's a great point. I think I've had so many reviews where I'll read them and I'm like, oh, what an asshole. And then a few days later, I'm like, they're an asshole, but they're right. And this is actually going to make the paper uh. better. Um, I'm, I've been very yeah. lucky. Um, we'll, we'll finish off with possibly the worst review I've, I've gotten. Um, it was three sentences. Oh, that's the worst one. Yes, that's the worst one. It was three sentences and it was like, um, this paper has been published previously. Uh, it's not novel. Reject. What had happened was, and they- they, 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 that, they that, that senior preprint. Yeah. Yeah, you only have so many stories, pal. I knew that one. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, didn't, I, I thought I may have said this one before. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we're got we're going to put bookends on this. The worst review I ever got, which is uh, the like the biggest abrogation of responsibility, the shittest review. The person who did the act of reviewing a paper, the poorest, was a positive review. 
where someone went, this paper, it are very good. Author, are clever. I rub her balls. What a clever fellow you are. I recommend this publication for doing a publish right now. Ha <laughs> ha, lol. Um, and that was it. And obviously I'm making up some kind of patois there. <laughs> who is that? I don't, I don't remember who it was, but I mean, this was, it was poorly written. It was about f- maybe four lines, if I remember it right. And it was exclusively positive. They don't fuck all. Right? That's less than, they've done less than Arsehole Reviewer. I mean, at least Arsehole Reviewer looked up to find how many papers they had <laughs> before determining that I wasn't responsible you enough to put enough. facts in order. Yeah. Well, at least they paid attention to my seniority. This person paid attention to nothing whatsoever. Did you know that our Everything Hurts patrons can get access to a library of 20 bonus episodes? Well, you do now. We release a bonus episode every month to our $5 a month patrons who also get a lifetime 20% discount on Hirch merchandise. We also have a $1 per month tier, which gives you access to a monthly newsletter, the merch discount, and the occasional bonus episode. If you want to support the show but can't swing the Patreon money, you can share a review or post about the show on social media instead, as we'd love that as well. Now, let's get back to the show. Let's jump to our next question. Hi, Dan and James. I'm Michelle Adesar Whiting, editor in chief at the preprint platform Research Square. I love your podcast. For some reason, it makes me feel like my job is a lot cooler than it actually is. The only issue is that I can't <laughs> listen to it out loud now that my kids are home because James swears so fucking much. Uh, but my question is, when are you going to do another episode focused on preprints? They've been um, tangentially mentioned a lot, but there hasn't, that I know of, been a recent episode that uh, really discussed them in depth. So given the recent explosion um, with COVID-19 and the kind of uh, science culture war going on about preprints, maybe it's a good time to revisit. Bye. James, oh. corrupt, corrupting the youth with your potty mouth and your cussing. I've- <laughs> I've, I've, I'm oddly proud of myself. That was so funny. Literally, when I first heard that, I laughed out loud. That was amazing. Thanks, I Michelle. Don't, I don't, I don't know what to say. What, what a, what a lovely, what a lovely message. Thank, thank you, thank you for leaving such an excellent message. Um, I had several interconnected thoughts about this recently that um simply haven't come up in terms of an episode, uh, because other stuff has. Um, and they're absolutely right that there's a great deal to say with regards to the center of an unpublished academic document and how it relates to trying to work quickly and accurately in the absence of centralized control. Um, something something that I said early on, I want to start with this, something that I said early on about um, the way that uh, preprints work in the context of the plague is that something that was something that was central to the idea of a preprint has been lost when you just hose out as much shit as humanly possible. I was really, really disgusted in the early days of the plague with the astonishing amount of shit that was being preprinted. It's an astonishing amount of bollocks 
um, and it was to do with everything. Uh, it crossed over with every uh, analysis of uh, the academic career and life cycle and every field and every type of measurement and uh, every kind of case study. Um, every, every kind of retrospective study. And then, of course, it took a while, but then all the clinical stuff started coming in. Um, preprints had, I feel like, had past tense, a set of conventions that were around preprinting something. And to me, at least, there was a component by which you need to be very well aware of your own limitations. You, something I've talked about previously, you need to go out and look for your own experts. Um, if you're called on to make a public comment, which is uncommon for any other kind of preprint, you know, unless it's something that's really like you would discover CRISPR-2, Return of the Gene, right? Um, if you preprint that shit, there's going to be like public interest. But for almost all of the others, it goes out into academic space and people see it. And all of a sudden, the fucking eye of Sauron was turned onto unpublished documents. Yes? Um, as well, the, the pre printing as a process rather than as a document. So you put something in the public domain, people say things about it. You talk to the people in the public domain, you change the document. That's the whole fucking point of getting feedback in the first instance. And then you treat it as a process. It's supposed to be part of the process of evaluation, not the formal reviewing process, but the process of the more this is sort of broader, uh, a broader process of trying to make it as good as possible. Um, and in a, also in a context where different, um, different, different remarks are more possible than they are uh, in. You, know, you could. It, it's difficult sometimes in peer review to go. Ah, oh, go and start again and do this other shit. It's much easier to make some remarks at a preprint like that. Now, when everything's fucked and people are reading these, like, and you see, like, I mean, I saw a preprint on the news in about May. How was it described? Yeah. As a study or a um, preprint? Just, no, just a paper. The news doesn't know what the fuck a preprint is. Oh, like the, like the TV um, news, the television. Yeah, on the on the television. Okay. Yeah, was something, something was published. Sure. So, I always saw them as a a vehicle for discussion. Like uh, 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 like the, the opening of a door rather than the fucking closing of one. A yes? discussion with, with other scientists or? Yeah, yeah, mostly. Um, but one that was uh, because, because the immediacy of everything was firewalled off from more or less everything else. You know, everyone wasn't going to turn up and put tens of thousands of views in your new preprint overnight just because it was plague related. And everyone's forgotten the tremendous hunger for information that was present between sort of, uh, say, February and June. Just how little we knew, just how scared everyone was simply because we didn't have any parameters to this. We didn't know. Like, uh, can it, can it, basic shit, like, can it live on the spinach that I bring home from the supermarket? Can it fly through the window or by itself? Do I need to wash my hair after I've been in public? I didn't know any of that shit. I mean, like, running through lists of those questions while compulsively reading everything I could about it and still not knowing the fucking answer because the answer didn't exist yet. Yeah? Um, certainly what's very dangerous, um, and obviously a step past 
the, the, the fact that it's very difficult to reconcile the environment of a completely unreviewed, could be anything fucking manuscript that appears out of nowhere. Um, with the kind of seriousness of the topic at hand, obviously people are going to cut corners and then they're going to say a bunch of dumb shit and then they're going to make a bunch of claims about how their research in particular is particularly worth funding right now in the absence of funding and jobs and shit like that. So obviously a lot of people did that mendacious bullshit. Social scientists included, you know who the fuck you are. I hate your work, up yours. Um, well, there's that great Nature Human Behavior, Nature Behavior paper that came out recently on the readiness scale. Did you see that? Oh, the, the TRL thing. Yeah, so it, the same. Yeah, sort of those st- are part of those are part of my daily life now. Like, what can we actually do with a thing when you build hardware? I mean, you, you you live and die by that shit when it comes to how do you initiate a project with something that you've got. Like, what can it do now? Honestly, what's the what's an assessment of it? We will yeah. we will link to that. Yeah, up. I saw I saw, I saw that. Um, I think I was I talked to yeah, it was uh, Hans and uh, and Neil. Um, there was 10 authors, Samin, I think was on there. Yeah, I think there was some opportunity for me to be. Obviously, it was a very bad time, both plague-wise and career-wise, um, considering the transition um, when that was being written. So, I, I never got involved in that. But it made perfect sense. I liked it. It was a good idea. Um, so, the thing that you can't do, Dan, before we, we both interrupted me just then, the thing that you definitely <laughs> can't do when you're talking about preprints in this environment is write whatever the fuck you feel like and then hold a press conference. That was never supposed to be part of the equation. That was not something that we ever previously imagined. The idea that you could just put words in order in a certain format, stick it out into the world, and then immediately go, yeah, it's worth calling the fucking newspapers. I back me. Now... Obviously, you can't really be stopped from doing that. I think there's a degree to which that's unethical. But here's what I think should happen. If you do that and you're wrong, um, I think people should throw rocks at you till you go away. Because you're basically saying, I'm going to shoulder the burden of responsibility for this not being dangerous. It's not just a matter of the fact that it's unreviewed. Now, it's unreviewed, but it's also on the thing that's turning the planet inside out. So I think that you should have a – if that's the case – you know, I, that you can't legislate something like that away. But I should be able to say, you did this, you put this in the public discourse, you made it as loud as possible, and now it's wrong. You can fuck off. I think the criticism for doing that should be substantial. There- because you, you are the person who has taken it upon yourself to make an assumptive argument about public health that could literally change policy and kill people or fuck up the economy even more or fuck up people's jobs or in general mess with everyone's livelihood in some context or another. You have said, I back me to get this right. So it shouldn't be a question of, oh, well, we're all trying. Oh, we got things. It's a shame we got it wrong. Fuck your shame. Like if you, if you, if, if it's, if it's a sufficiently serious topic like that, I think there's a degree to which uh, authors haven't been held accountable for the dumb shit that they've said over the last six to seven months. Um, and these uh, orphaned preprints, and I think there's a lot that aren't being published now. They're just being stuck out as preprints. I think they should be ground into the author's faces. Like, a you know, when you have a small dog and it shits on the rug and you're supposed to get its face and mash it into the shit so it doesn't do that? Yeah. I have never done that being not either an owner of a dog or someone who's particularly good at mashing animals into shit. It sounds kind of unsanitary, but I've heard from someone that you're supposed to do that. 
Did, is um, there? A, I want to make a distinction here. But it should it should happen to some of these people. <laughs> bad, bad. Okay, I want bad. to make a distinction here. So bad preprint is your issue with the fact that people are publicising their own work or running with with the publicity or the fact they're putting it out in the first place. I think what we need to consider here is. Um, what are the, the pros and cons of actually having preprints? Preprints are good because it means any other scientist can actually read, evaluate, and provide feedback. So, I think mm. actually saying preprints are bad, um, let, 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 let's just go down, let's just take the whole system down as a bad idea. Oh. Um, um, sorry, who's making that argument? Some people are saying preprints are bad. But, well, but it's, I, 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 no, it's just, look, I, 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 I don't. Ex- I, I hope they're making more sophisticated arguments than these things now have inherent badness. Fuck them, because that's obviously extremely superficial. People are criticizing preprints. I would say it's okay. Well, people can go fuck themselves. I, it, it would be far more fair to say, in my opinion, that in this present environment, they come with a lot more challenges and dangers and personal responsibility to be able to be part of that discourse. And, is that and pre- obviously, a lot of people obviously a lot of people are not keeping up with that. Is that personal responsibility to own up to dumb shit that you've said, or to not, or to actually not post it to sort of, you know, Both, if you're not sure? But the, the other thing is, but you read you read some of these preprints. Everyone has had a problem with, especially ones where the authors have immediately gone to a podium somewhere and banged their cock on a microphone. Right? You read them. You don't see hedging. You don't see language that will be later taken out because they're unsure of something. You don't see that you see people making the same arguments as strongly as humanly possible, promulgating a case, promulgating their case without any of the, like, the humility that you might be expected to have if you're letting an untested argument into the wild. So you see this, com- you see this combination all at the same time. This is never how preprints were supposed to work, in my opinion. Very strong like opinion, strong case, without any of the component hedging or broader understanding of context or academic responsibility that you're supposed to have when you make complicated arguments. Three, immediately stuck out as a preprint, obviously. And then four, having the shit promoted out of it like you've just got to publish it in Cell. Yeah? Now, you run all that to go from start to finish, and then finally you get to five, which is, in a couple of months, it turns out everything you said was fucking bullshit and that you were wrong and people knew at the time. If you do that, that is, I mean, it, it's it's getting to a point where I think we need to have a discussion about whether or not it's ethical to do that. And this, this I mean, there's this been... Oh, I don't want to get into the, like a catalog of, of, of distaste around this, um, but you, if you put yourself in that position, and you're that you're that loud and that certain and eventually that wrong, I don't think you get to fall back onto the well. I was just asking questions, or oh, it was the best information at the time, kind of thing. I think there's a, a, a it would it would behoove you to have a more forensic look at that and then sit down and give yourself a quiet uppercut when you find out that invariably there was something that you fucking missed uh, and, a, and a contribution to discourse that you conceivably wouldn't have made if you hadn't been so fucking arrogant. I think- you- um, uh, I mean, look, out, outside of the context of the plague right now, uh, I think preprints are, pre-prints are doing really fucking great because journals are behind on everything because everyone's busy. So yes, please take them seriously. All your non-plague-related preprints, please continue to stick them into the world. I will continue to read them, right? Well, when they're relevant, I'm not just going to read them like the newspaper. 
your research isn't that interesting. Sorry. Um. <laughs> I, I think what you were hinting at, th- th- there was a study that came out which w- was actually looking at the rate of preprints that had been published. I think um, yeah. they looked at the averages. Um, I think there's the, the, I think six months is most preprints or many preprints um, are, are, are published or there's a certain percentage that are published after six months. People actually looked at COVID preprints and found that only yeah. 20% of the expected preprints that have been, been out that have been published, which assumes that people have been putting out shit. Or people in putting out stuff. <laughs> I, I, I'd really interested. Yeah. See, here's 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 the thing. Here's the thing, and you've got to understand, Dan, that that is going into an environment that is trying as hard as possible to review and process and understand and publish these things to make them official, so people feel like they have the right kind of information published in the right sources as soon as possible. A lot of rapid responses, a lot of rapid reviewing, and still, the amount of them that end up being published is going fucking down a lot, not up. Yeah, when there's more facility to get more stuff published sooner, down, not up. This is this is bad it stuff. It does strongly imply that a lot of them are shit, doesn't it? Really shit. I, I, I really. Well, I'll finish off with this. I had a really interesting experience. Um, I was associate editor for a paper, and it got its reviews, and they the reviewers all gave some really constructive feedback. And for the first time ever, the authors looked at it, going, "You know what? They were right, and we." don't think we can address that and there are a lot of issues we're gonna to have to do a new experiment thanks we're, we're, we're withdrawing our paper that's like the first time that's ever happened usually authors will go oh yeah we can do this and we can address that and we can we can they, they'll, they'll do the bend over backwards to try and address the comments but the authors here realized you know what the authors were right and there's nothing we can do there was a fatal flaw in our study um we're going to go back and 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 fix this that's really how, un- how unbelievably mature super that mature can't, that can't be common that's never happened to me. I've never said that or seen that happen. Everyone is good for them. If good for good them, for them acting like adults. Amazing. All right, we're going to go <sighs> to. We are going to go to our final question. Here it is. Hi, my name is Shelley. I'm from Ottawa, Canada, and my question is: What are your thoughts about the way prestige of an institution where one studies or works counts towards the way their career is assessed? And should this change and how? Thank you. Mm. Shelly, thanks for your question. Hello, Sh- Hello Shelly. I hope you are well. I am not well. I'm stuck in this ridiculous enterprise with this goon and his trucker hat. And he makes me do things, Shelly. Things that you wouldn't even read about on the internet written in German. <laughs> it's... What was the question? Nah, <laughs> I'm kidding. The role of prestige, Daniel. Oh, um, before we get in, before we get into that, I want to ask you: um, in the states, when you say, f- firstly, does it matter where you did your PhD? And secondly, if it does, do people actually? What do they think about University of Sydney? Here's the thing: they don't, they don't fucking see it. The US is very parochial when it comes to uh, university stuff. Very. So everyone's heard of stuff that's here, but you know, if you said uh, like uh, Singapore National University um, or IIT or the Sorbonne or sometimes even shit like the London School of Economics, is that good? Um, <laughs> there are big there are big gaps in people's knowledge, um, and it yeah, it matters a lot more. It matters a lot more outside of academia, where it's far more qualified. Than inside it, because um, people have people have a variety of like extra layered, complicated biases and impressions that go 
uh, within the, the within the academic space. I mean, some things count for a great deal. Um, you know, if you go straight out of your PhD and then immediately get a junior faculty job at Yale, um, people are going to assume you're a baller. Um, but there's so many other layered qualifications that you have to go to kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm way out in front of something and the fancy people said yes to me for it to like really do a lot of damage. Um, and you, you see it. I mean, this is how, this is how fancy universities, this is how they make a, like a ton of their fucking money. It's, just, it's essentially a, an exchange of influence. So look for how many, uh, international heavy master's degrees are offered by brand name universities for full fee structures. And you'll see, and you'll see that it is, they're essentially doing an, uh, it's an, an influence, it's an influence game. Um, and those degrees are very short and very expensive for the most part compared to other degrees, which are longer and cheaper and require the university to, I don't know, provide a public service of educating the people who are from the place that they're allegedly from. Um, but tons of the money now comes from the ability to basically badge yourself up with a one year course and whatever. I think there's, I think there's a whole bunch of like at Harvard here in Boston. Um, I remember seeing a bunch of like one year master's courses. And when it was graduation time, it was, people came out of the fucking woodwork. It was like uh, all these people studying at the like old campus with the lawns and the squirrels and shit like that. Do they fit all these people into those buildings? The answer is no, they don't. They have the satellite campuses and they run a lot of short courses for a lot of money. And that's the game that they're in. And Sydney was lousy for this. They um the 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 look up the financial report of the, uh, the University of Sydney before the plague and see how much money they take from international students. See how much of their revenue base that actually is, and you'll get an idea of how the sort of exchange of influence works. And the thing that's the thing that's breeding that is people differentiating themselves in a broader marketplace, not within not academic. But academic prestige in the sense of continuing to be an academic. Academic prestige in the sense of we are we we are sufficiently educated to go boldly forth and be better than the next person in, in the queue of 60 resumes or some shit. So um, I mean I've been persistently disrespectable for a very long time. And I will add one more thing to, to this. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to have a tremendously positive opinion on it, as might be expected. But I'll add one more thing to this. Um, all the people who are like, you remember people who are so fucking clever, or they get something so well, they kind of scare you a bit. Like people who are really mentally acute. Um, they're never from somewhere fancy. They're always from somewhere that is like a productive circumstance. Because they have to work hard you know? with, with, with less resources. Well, it's not – It's um, that's almost certainly part of it. I mean, you you start off with a – there's obviously a, a, a genetic component and then an upbringing component and then a kind of a decisional, like, life vocational component to being as knowledgeable as some people are at the age that they are about topics of incredible complexity. Um, there's obviously a lot of things at work. 
but you don't find them like they're not queued up to get into brown. They're just from wherever they're from. Hmm. The, the, you know, the people who are so smart they've scared me in my life um, are almost exclusively from wherever, honestly. Um, yeah, I have no – it's, it's a hangover from the idea now that everything must be managed and ordered and that there's always someone who's going to do a few marks better in a few categories. Uh, the, the, the kind of personal differentiation thing, it's so fucking exhausting. And it's incredibly demoralizing if you're not from the fancy place or you're not the fancy person or you're no good at it. It's, an, it's another one of those shit ideas built of history and accidents and people's short-sighted views of their own institutions. Um, I'd love to start a fucking university that had a really terrible name, like Bogo U, <laughs> and, and 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 have it be have it be the best the best education that that, that, that money can buy, you know, but to turn out people who are real killers in whatever whatever domain <laughs> it is that they they choose to they choose to pursue. Um, I I I like I like it when um I like it when these gates fall. I like it when shit like this goes away. And that's what there's one very nice thing about being in a small business. Um, it's the fact that uh, to a, a a great a great extent you are beholden to no one. You have to make it happen. The market and well, yeah, the market. But it more it's like the space that you have to operate in is enough a lot of the time, and whatever damage you can do is entirely determined by how badly you want to do it. Um, obviously, there's still structural factors. There's still barriers. There's still all sorts of dumb shit. But, you know, if you turn up, uh, if you're forming a business relationship, you turn up with someone else with a, a, a legitimate offer of making them money or giving them something that they want, then check your fucking resume. Make sure you went to Wharton, you know? <laughs> They they look at the they they look at what's in front of them. I like it when that shit goes away. Anyway, I've I talk too much. You know I hate stuff like this, and it makes me all miserable and pouty. You talk, you big flapping head, and talk with it. I think the situation is much better nowadays compared to say twenty thirty years ago, where these things really really mattered. One of the things that really annoys me at conferences is the the introduction of speakers. Often it's fine. This, this is this person, they're going to talk about this, and this is where they're from. That That's not a problem. But once you go beyond that, I've never seen an introduction where I'm like, that, that was actually very useful because quite often we hear about- <laughs> no, Honestly, because quite often all you hear about is like, yes, this this is where they trained and this is who their mentors are. I'm like, I don't give a shit. Tell, tell me about the research oh. they're doing now. And that, <laughs> that, that happens quite a lot with, with these sort of introductions in the sense that um, the fact that they train under this person must mean that they're good. Um, maybe that's the case, but uh, it's not necessarily the case. So these, it, it all comes down to this, this, this idea that people are lazy and they don't want to actually read the things. They don't want to actually carefully evaluate the, the research that's been done. So they're using these, the, these, these heuristics of, well, they went to this place, so they, so they must be good. So I hate it. I mean, I, I think it's it's in in sort of day to day research life. The only time you might come across that is um, 
when it comes to whether your papers are going to get sent out review. I've told this story before, um, being working both as a reviewer and an associate editor, people from fancy universities, the, the, the letterhead of their university takes up like a fucking third of the page just to remind you I am from this fancy place. Um, and it just, 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 just to reinforce, reinforce the kind of idea. But the one place where you really see this happening is at conferences where you have the, you, you meet someone, name goes down to where, to, to your name tag, see where you're from. Ah, you're not important enough. And the, the eyes go elsewhere. This is quite a common thing in conferences. And I, I think the, 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 the good thing is this, especially now with Corona, there's no conferences that it doesn't really matter. So it's good now that people actually have a better opportunity to sell their work. We've spoken about this before, but 20, 30 years ago, there were gatekeepers for who was chosen to speak at conferences, whose work was chosen to get sent out for review and accepted. Um, it's much better now with preprints, just despite all the shit that's out there because of Corona. Anybody, for better or for worse, can put their preprint out and their work can be evaluated. I love hearing these stories from mathematics where some 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 Russian dude solves I read a story this Russian dude solved this like important maths prize and he got offered a million dollars and he turned it down because he's like I do I do it for maths. I do, I, I don't care for these pro- You you're thinking of Grigory Perelman. Yeah, that bloke. And uh, he, he's from, you know, um, I, I know there is a few good institutions in Russia that that that, that are very well renowned for maths, but he's but he's not he's not from I don't think he's from a fancy place. He's just he's just from somewhere in Russia. And his, his his work was out there, and it was evaluated for 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 what it was. So things things are a lot better. Um, I would much rather be a researcher now than say twenty. I'm reading this super interesting book. It was an anthrop- an anthropologist went in who typically does work in like these sort of primitive tribes. Went in and spent a year with a lab at the Salk Institute. This book is fascinating because he takes. An anthrop- oh, that's 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 very famous. Um, oh, right here, um, laboratory Labor- life, the construction, laboratory life. Yeah, the construction of scientific facts. This is great. Uh, it's it's particularly interesting because it's um it's in psych and neurotechnology lab. Um, but it's 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 fascinating of actually just getting a look at how these how these labs actually work. Um, anyway, I'm getting off track. Part two of the question is, what do we actually do about this prestige bias? And one thing which I sort of keep going back and forth on is this idea of blinded reviews. Obviously, you can't, there's one perspective when it comes to blind reviews and preprints. Um, I've seen this idea that, um, essentially, um, reviewers will basically say, I'm not going to actively search for a preprint once they get this review, because there's no way of publishing a preprint without actually putting authors to it. Uh, so, do the the benefits of preprints outweigh blind reviews? Uh, I, I, I don't know, um, but I could see the benefits of a review. <laughs> I wouldn't have got my comment about bad English if it was a blinded review because I just would have read the thing, uh, uh, unless my English sucks and does sometimes. Um, but um, look, uh, I, I don't know. I, I keep going back and forth with the utility of blinded reviews and. Part of me thinks that it's better to not do them, but that's probably because in my field, it's very rare. I think there's maybe like 5% of papers that I review um, are blinded and like one journal within the past 10 years that I co-authored on has actually been a blinded review 
journal. So I don't know whether it's just what I'm used to or not. But um, look, I, I can really see how that would completely uh, remove bias. But at the same time, uh, particularly for smaller fields, it can be very easy to actually figure out who the authors are. Um, f- for one, the topics, the techniques, but even the style of writing. There are so many authors that you just know this is their paper just because of the style of writing, the authors they're citing, and the sort of a- a- approaches they take. Um, so, yeah, look, I've made my mind about this, but w- what do you think about this concept of actually having blind reviews in an effort to review, uh, to, to reduce these sort of prestige biases? Uh, I know that people who work in more prestige-driven areas are much more positive on them than I am. And that gives me a great deal of confidence that there's environments where it's appropriate for them. Um, There are obviously very, very parochial academic areas. And I have found that people who are from the more parochial areas in general are more in favor of not being evaluated on the basis of who they are and where they're from. And that makes perfect sense. It makes a lot less sense for me, but there's obviously a place for them because there's there's people who I trust who've mounted convincing arguments that they are better in a variety of contexts. Um better for like I mean, this this there's uh there's some papers on like how well are they evaluative um what 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 is the kind of equity of the outcome i mean are things uh, are there decisions that are made based on university or country or gender or whatever else and from memory and i haven't looked at this for a few years but from memory there is some reasonably good evidence to suggest that in some contexts they do what they're supposed to do. Um, I like that. I mean, it's not compatible with, it's not compatible with giving everything away as soon as possible in the way that we're more familiar with. But I don't know, man. If you were a woman from Tanzania and you were doing really good uh, medical papers, maybe you'd feel really differently about being evaluated on the basis of someone else's expectations about you. I mean, th- that brings to mind that example of uh, when they started doing blinded uh, auditions for orchestras. Previously, you'd have mm. three, three old yeah. th- three old white blokes sitting there in the audience watching someone do their thing, and then all of a sudden they put a curtain there. Person would rock up, play their piece because you're judging them on their on their music, on their abilities, not not necessarily. Which you'd think would be the point. Yeah, and then I mean, yeah. And as soon as they started doing that, then uh, I'm not sure what the percentages are for 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 the sex differences in who they're who they're picking for orchestras. But I I, I know for a fact that the, the the number of women that got chosen skyrocketed. Because they were chosen on purely because of their because of their musical ability, so that 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 is a good example there. And um, I'll, I'm I'm assuming somebody's done some empirical work on looking at the differences between. Um, I think I think there are some journals where you can where you can actually choose um, whether you want to do a blinded review or not. Um, but I'm not sure whether someone's actually randomised people to doing blinded reviews and non-blinded reviews to see whether that changes the. Um, um, how manuscripts are, are, are viewed. I mean, it sounds like the kind of thing that someone's done before, but um, I, I don't know. I'm assuming it would help. Hmm. Yeah. I'm. I'm assuming. I'm assuming that too. 
it's 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 very annoying. I mean, we have this very fatuous idea about meritocracy a lot of the time, but it's it's very annoying for anyone to be told it's like you lack virtue because of circumstance. That's what a lot of it comes down to. You were you were there through often this is whatever elements of your life car crashed together to produce that particular outcome. There are fucking hundred reasons why anyone is anywhere. And other people pick up your body of work and put it in front of them and go, well, that could have been better. I I often wonder, is there absolutely no space? If you see someone that had come from an allegedly third-rate university, and they've been there and have obviously been struggling. You see a bunch of adjunct jobs and, you know, like moving moving between labs during a PhD and then a, 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 a job somewhere where there's not a lot of research support. But they're still doing solid research under those environments. I think it's a fucking amazing testament to the fact that they're a baller, you know, that that's, that's the real shit right there. Like someone who's experienced adversity. Um. It reminds me of a thing that uh, like powerlifters used to say. It's not the, the, the best coach is not someone to whom it came easily. Basically, you don't get a world champion for your coach because different rules apply. The best coach was like someone who sucked horribly and then worked their brains out to get to like a division B team. You know? Well, they managed to have the longest possible career while being a sort of solid player. That's someone who really understands the fucking fundamentals. That's someone who gets the game. That's the person who you want the insight from. I saw a- because I mean, look, I've 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 got plenty of stories that I won't tell because they're libelous about born to rule motherfuckers who went to the fancy place and they went to the fancy lab and then start running their own somewhere, and occasionally the sheer. Utter bone idle fucking uselessness of some of these people who were at the same time convinced, convinced that everything that happened to them is purely the universe turning up and doing exactly what they demanded of it, which is also entirely within their rights because they're brilliant. Those people totally fucking definitely 157,000% fucking exist. That is such a thing. It's common in some areas. Yeah? Common. And when you see people who do that, who are incapable of managing other people, who are personally unpleasant, uh, incapable of thinking strategically, and then when things go bad, like lashing out at everyone around them, because it couldn't possibly be their fault. These motherfuckers are real. Those are, I'm describing real people. It's not a, a heated up hypothetical to make the fucking podcast sound cool. Those are real people out there. And the only thing they ever had going for them was the fact that they had a good enough badge to get into a back area of the club that gave them a good enough badge to get into the further back area of the club, which gave them a good enough badge to be able to do a fucking thing. There's a like the the Matthew effect has big strong biceps and will yeah and it can it can it can curl its body up a long way. Oh, you know it's that's some real shit. Uh, we'll we'll finish up with it with a great analogy that I saw or a great discussion that I saw on Twitter. I think it was a few weeks ago. I think Sanjay um, mentioned this. 
And it was the idea that if you had two candidates that came for a job um, and one of them mm. had said that um, over my career I've, I've brought in two million worth of funding and the other person said I've got zero worth of funding, um, yet they had the same publication record, who would you hire? Well, that's – there are better constructed thought experiments than that, Dan, because that's borderline fucking impossible. Um in general, I mean, like the it's a hypothetical, the, yeah. The, the, the data, yeah. But I mean, it's it's very hypothetical because it's incredibly unlikely. But in the very limited sense in which it's true, the person who's done everything with nothing is a better scientist. But they will hire the other person. Yeah, it's madness. Yeah, of course it is. But it's not madness from the university's fiscal perspective. You've got someone with a track record who's bringing in indirect costs. Look at someone, I mean, the unit, you, you, you get $2 million worth of grant money. The uh, institution gets, depending on the institution, somewhere between 30 to 60% of that money paid as an indirect cost that is an agreement between the institution and the government. Mm. That's, that is, so basically, you're talking. You basically, you're saying that these people have the same scientific output, but one person makes his money and the other one doesn't. Mm. Now, your job's not to support the scientist. Your job is to make sure the university continues to function. So you hire the person who is demonstrably less efficient. Yeah. Now you want to talk about incentives? That yeah, that's a fucking perverse incentive from the perspective of let's hire the person who does the does the right. Uh, Let's hire, the, let's hire the person who is less capable of economizing and succeeding regardless of uh, their external support. Yeah, so look, think of it, the, all, all of these situations like that. You just uh, like switch your thinking and like think of it as a business. Hmm. What the fucking university do? Yeah. And it's like, do, we, do they want revenue or not? They don't really. They don't. They, they, it's, it's not a frontline concern. For for them, I mean, the, the university is not going to look at it at, at any sort of uh, a proper level on the hierarchy. They're not they're not reading your papers like the hiring committee thingy does that, yeah. But like, who do the who do the colleagues want is is a is a different question. Mm. But who the institution will take if it? I mean, it comes to sort of a deanish kind of level at some point in time, yeah. There's some, you know, because that adds to the top line of the college brought in X much money. Uh, the department was, uh, you know, had a fiscal commitment from the government of Y much dollars over the year. So that's that's the, the thing. Yeah, that's, I'm perpetually amazed by people in academia who don't feel like they work for a business. <laughs> so true. You fucking really, really do. You really do work for a business and you would do very well to understand the fiscal concerns that they have and what they're actually worried about, what they want. Because, yeah, because it's not what you want. It's what they want. I mean, you have some overlapping goals, but in general, I mean, they, they don't care about what you care about. You just happen to be there. On that bright. Honestly, they don't. Your university doesn't care about you. That's one thing. They don't. They don't care. If you were hit by a combine harvester tomorrow and flung 
into a Jackson Pollock of assorted meat. Um, they would regard it as headache, a minor irritation. They have no personal investment in you whatsoever. People forget that sometimes. They go, well, let's, let's, let's demand things from this institution. You know? It's, it's, like, it's like activists demanding things from multinational corporations. They, they, they just look at them the same way that you'd look at a lizard in a jar and go, Huh, I can't relate to you at all. And then get on with your day. They don't care. Well, I'm a sunny piece of shit, aren't I? <laughs> on that note, we'll wrap up the episode. Thanks to Chelsea, to Michelle, and to Shelley for sending in your audio questions. If you do have audio questions, make sure you send them in uh, through our website, everythinghurts.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again very soon with a new episode of Everything Hurts. See you later. Yeah, we will. I suppose we're committed to it now, aren't we? (laughs) 